The scripture reading today is Luke 12, 49 through 53. It came to pass, it came to cast fire, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. <laughs> it's Luke 12:51. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. No, no, that isn't even peace. I don't Fe- even, fellas, fellas. Oh. Like mine better. There goes the piece. Too corny. Yeah. Too corny or just corny enough? That's what my wife said. Just corny enough. Thanks, guys, for disrupting the piece. Oh wow. I I had them read those two because we've been studying Luke, and let's be honest. I'm going to pray here in just a second, but let's be honest about those two passages. Is it peace or is it not peace? Right? Passage for today, uh, Luke 12, 49 to 53, I came to cast, this is Jesus talking, came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. That's weird, isn't it? I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? I thought so, Lord. I was just singing that at Christmas time. No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I don't know anything about that. My mother-in-law loves me. Is it that or is it what those angels were saying? Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Is this a contradiction? Is this a challenge that we must encounter to a degree? In fact, that's what I want to do today. Let's, we're going to talk about this. What is it? Did Jesus come to bring peace or not? Was it peace or was it not peace? I'm going to give you three ways that I think that Jesus came to bring not peace. And then I want to give you three or four ways where he did come to bring peace. Now, I'm going to tell you before I start reading, I have a whole lot of scriptures today, more than I normally do. Um, 
And so I don't want you to fret about like, oh, I didn't get that one written down. I didn't get that one written down. I actually, if you get down here, like I missed some. I actually have a paper here just with a list of the references. So if we get down here, like, oh, I need those references. I don't want you to, don't want you to worry about trying to get all those references copied down. If you, need, if you want those references to look those things up, I do have those listed out for you. Uh, but before we go any further, let's pray that God's living and powerful word will come alive for us today and help us to look at what is this peace thing all about. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that we can look at it and not look at it and go, oh, there's a problem, Lord, but we can learn from this and say, what does this mean? And Lord, I'm so thankful that your word stands up under intense scrutiny. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us today. Lord, I ask that the, the scriptures that I have and the things that I have, Lord, will represent you rightly and accurately in what ways you have not brought peace and what ways you have brought peace. Lord, help us to understand those things. Help me to present those things well. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so not peace and peace. Let's start off with not peace. Not peace, number one. So we're going to do three ways that he does not bring peace. Not peace, number one. One way that he does not bring peace is war with family and, frankly, and with others. Okay, That's directly from the text that we had, Luke 12. What did that say exactly? Verse 52. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I wonder, I think we all have at least some understanding of why this is and what to do about it. I'd like to answer both of those questions at the same time uh, quickly, um, why this is and what to do about it. Uh, I'd like to go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus' teaching. It says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so there could be at least some, some degree, some of the things are false accounts against you. You hear that in his statement? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, you're not the first. This is a historical reality that many times God's spokespeople end up being hated by others. That's just the reality of it. It's been that way for thousands of years is what Jesus is teaching right here. More recently from Luke, we read this passage. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and spurn your name as evil. Like you're the evil one. I know what you're thinking sometimes when that happens. I'm not the evil one. You're the evil one. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? Jesus says, blessed are you when this happens. Not if it happens, but when it happens. When it happens on account of the Son of Man. Let's be honest. This does happen sometimes because, frankly, some of us can be jerks. That's not what this is talking about. If people spurn your name as evil because you're being evil, that's a different story. We have different texts to deal with that. But if people spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, if you say, I'm going to stand on the side of Jesus, and as you do that in the way that Jesus does it, they spurn your name as evil, then you've got to understand 
Blessed are you, my friends, for that. And woe to you, he says, woe to you in that same passage, woe to you when all people speak well of you. Weep, wail and mourn, woe to you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. False prophets have everybody speaks well of them, is what Jesus says. One reason for this I think you ought to expect naturally, especially now with the Uh, I just think with this text, this book, with the most recent portions of it being nearly 2,000 years old, you ought to expect that some of it matches up with our culture and some doesn't. You can look out over the course of history and find there's some times where the the, the society stands in agreement with what the word says. And they go, yeah, this is what the word says. And people go, yeah, this is what we say too. And there's an agreement to it. But then there's some things that it doesn't happen. And you ought to expect that if you've got a book that does not change, and we're not going in and editing this, right? We're not like, hey, culture changed, time to change the book. We're not doing that. This is an old book. You ought to expect some of the things in here to stand in firm disagreement with what is currently the common cultural representation of what's right and what's wrong. And so there's a natural realization that we ought to see that. There was a time that the world disagreed with the Bible on marriage, And then there was a time where it did agree, and then we're going back to a time where now it doesn't agree anymore. You ought to expect those sorts of things to happen, okay? And so when you start doing that, and notice I'm not saying agree with us, I'm saying agree with the Scripture, because we could go down another tangent where we talk about times where people have falsely said this is what the Bible teaches, right? And they were wrong and represented it. Christianity and the Bible wrong. That's happened in history, okay? Like if I use this word and I say, this means I need to go and conquer other lands in the name of Jesus, that's not what he's calling us to do, right? That happened in history. I think that what you actually see happening in history, the common theme isn't that this is messed up, it's that we're messed up. And if you see, if you see, the wor- if you see a society where the word of God becomes dominant, there's always going to be people that try to filter and try to use that for their own power and authority. That's actually what you see. It's not a problem with this. It's a problem with us people, right? And so don't get confused. I'm not saying agree with us. I'm talking about agree with what this word teaches. Think even for me, it's been helpful to think about the fact that even Jesus experienced disagreement and rejection. That. That is a hugely important fact in my head because I used to think, man, if I could just do this perfect, everybody would agree with it. It makes so much sense. Like I'd read the Bible and go, this makes so much sense. This this makes so much sense. What is wrong? I must not be explaining it right. I need to explain it better. And then I try to explain it better. And they still didn't agree with me. And I'm like, what? I need to explain it better. And then it dawned on me one day, wait a minute, even if I explained it perfectly, wait a minute, somebody in history did do that. And his name was Jesus. And people still rejected him. And Jesus actually talks about that. In fact, uh, one of the passages in Matthew 13, where we learn about Jesus going back to his hometown. Man, you think if there's anybody that's going to have your back, it'd be your hometown, right? Not Jesus. Went back to his hometown one of the first times he got rejected by people. Like, who do you think you are? John chapter 15, right near the time of his crucifixion, he tells his disciples, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's helpful, by the way. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
This is becoming more and more prominent. See, we've had some benefits in our society of having the scriptural teaching be a a dominant element in our culture. Well, as that fades, we ought to, like an ocean receding, we ought to stand out more and more prominently in this world. That is a hard thing. Let us do it. I pray, let us do it the way Jesus would stand out, not as jerks, right? Not as belligerent jerks, but as Christ-honoring, lifting up. We don't want to do anything. I, I was telling Charity this morning, I don't want to, like the one, my one biggest fear, I don't want to do anything that would defame Jesus. I don't want to do anything in my life that makes him look bad. But the, the fact of the matter is, as much as I want that, there's a reality that even if I do it exactly the way he did it, even he got hated by people. So that can and ought to and will happen. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. That was the one that really got me when I was balancing this out. Am I greater than Jesus? I can, like, I can explain it better than he did. No. Servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours. They didn't keep my word, they're not going to keep yours. You're not greater than Jesus. In fact, just before he said this, we were talking about reading the book of James. And uh, James is actually Jesus's earthly, one of Jesus' earthly brothers, that he eventually became a believer. And what an amazing, astounding element that is. But listen to this story that happened before Jesus went to the cross. It says, In John chapter 7, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Okay, keep that thought in mind. The Jews, we know the Jews are trying to kill Jesus by this point in the story. And it says, now the feast of Booth, the Jews' feast of Booth was at hand. That was going on down in Jerusalem. Okay, so the feast, a lot of people like to go up to the feast. They want to kill Jesus there. What do I do? Listen to his brothers and tell me if this sounds like any of your brothers. His brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Where are they wanting to kill him at? <laughs> Judea. There's brothers for you, right? They want to kill you in Judea. Hey, I got an idea, Jesus. You should go to Judea. <laughs> I mean, that's what this said. Like, hey, they want to kill him in Judea. And his brother's like, hey, thought, go to Judea. <laughs> right? Leave here, go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then the writer, John, the beloved disciple, said why they did this. Not even his brothers believed in him. He was rejected by his own family. If that's to happen, who are we to be excluded from the possibility of that happening? This is one way that not peace with others can happen just by having disagreement with standing on the scriptures or not standing on the scriptures. And as the world recedes away from the word of God, we ought to again stand out more prominently, more so as every passing day, every passing week goes by. But this not peace with others isn't simply because of a disagreement. As you can see with Jesus, there are hints of this throughout scripture. But let me give you another one here. Ephesians chapter 5 Uh, listen to this. This is talking about something different, but I want you to hear what's being said. It says, for you are one time, for you, for at one time you were darkness. Now, before we get into what Paul is talking about here, think about the reality of what he just said in that sentence. 
There, there, it's, it's beyond just simple agreement or disagree. It's beyond just, I have these facts that I believe and these facts that I believe. Paul opens up, pulls back the curtain on something that's going on behind the scenes, and he says something about the reality of who we are. You were at one time, what does that say? What word does that say? You were at one time what? You were darkness. But now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children. Do, do it that way. And we, we talk about that, but just grasp the other side of this so that we're getting a glimpse of behind the scenes here. The reality of humanity is beyond just a list of things that I acknowledge or disagree with. It's beyond just a statement of beliefs. What's going on, Jesus or Paul says right here, is that people were at one time, they were the very essence of darkness, but now they are light. And they ought to walk that way. And we're going to talk some more about what that means to be that and not to be light, but then to walk as light. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And then he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So you're trying to figure this out. You're going into what is light and right. Take no part, he says, in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I don't necessarily think meaning go around and exposing it in others is what Paul, I don't think that's what he's primarily talking about here. Although a lot of us, that's what we want to do. Like, that's evil, let's make sure. But I, I think it's primarily thinking about in our own selves, if there's works of darkness, open them up to the light. For it is shameful, he says, to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And I mention this passage because, it, like I said, it gives a, a glimpse as to the reality of human beings. That That's not just what we see physically, there's other things at work, even in our very beings of who we are. But notice there, this, this is not an easy experience. If you have ever been in a very dark room and walked out of that very dark room into the middle of a July the 4th noon, <laughs> it's not pleasant for a few moments, is it? Darkness exposed into light many times is very painful. And so this war that we have with others is not meant to say, I don't say this to say, this is what, yeah, let's fight with everybody. That's not what it's about. There, there's going to be, if it's true that we were darkness, but now we're light, the people that are still in that, there's still darkness. And us being lights, those things are in opposition one to another. No matter how kind and nice you are, at some point, the reality stands, you're light, they're darkness. We're walking in the light, they're in darkness. And that darkness does not love the light. Very important as we encounter this world and we think about how we ought to be. This leads me to my second not peace. More with the unseen world. There's an unseen world. Let's focus on that. I think I have a slide here. Oh, no, I got deleted. Yeah, there's an unseen world. I'm going to tell you, this falls outside of my scope of full comprehension. I am by trade. What, what's my trade? What do I do during the day? What's my day job? Math teacher. You knew it, right? Math teacher. I like numbers. I like them. 
They do what they're supposed to do. One plus one is two. It's not open for discussion. I chose math because I I looked at people going into English majors, and I was like, that's too loosey-goosey for me. You know, like, I think this one means this, and I think, but I, I think it, no. There's no, like, I think one plus one equals two means, no, it's two. I like that. I like things solid. I've likened myself many times to, of the disciples, I would be the most like Thomas, who after Jesus was resurrected, and I'd like to point out to people, Jesus did not rebuke Thomas for saying, I need to see it, Right? I, he said, I need to see it, and Jesus showed up and said, here, you can see. I, so I, I'd like to think, I, that's my excuse anyway. I, I, but I, I want to I see. Like I, if somebody tells me something, I, I will admit freely that my inclination is like, yeah, right. But not in a bad way. I, I'm more, I'm like, yeah, okay, I hope you're right. I don't know. That's weird. Okay? I like numbers. I understand them. I don't like loosey-goosey stuff. Stuff in the spiritual realm isn't as exact for someone of my nature, okay? But I cannot deny it for two reasons. One, honestly, I don't know how anybody could deny it. Most of us, we have not been in the world for more than 30 seconds have experienced things that are not explainable by simply physical explanations, I'm not even talking about the supernatural stuff. I'm not even talking about anything that falls into that category. I don't want to be weird, but I know when, when I have had a, a, a close friend, or I'm going to use the example of my wife, there's something beyond, I, I'm sorry, this is going to sound sappy. I'm not trying to be sappy because I'm not a sappy person. But the, the, it's, it's, there's something beyond just our brains Right? Like, there, there's something there. I, I experience it, and maybe you've experienced it with grief. Because your brain does all this thinking, right? But have you ever experienced grief? Now, and where do you feel it at? Where do you feel it at? What do you say? Right here. You ever, you ever felt that where it's, it's I, okay, your heart doesn't, it pumps blood. You guys know that, right? That's all it does. It's not doing anything else. It's just boom, boom. It's not thinking about things. It doesn't have those things. And I'm telling you right now, you, why, why is that like that? Have you ever experienced that? Experienced love that's like you, you almost can't explain it or grief. So I'm not even talking about getting into anything that might be supernatural. I don't know how anybody could say I'm just flesh and blood. I just don't. Anybody that's been around for more than 30 seconds goes, there's, there's something else going on here. But number two, and more importantly, the Bible clearly teaches there's other things going on. Let me just share a few passages. This well-known one, Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I mean, already, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I, do you... Now, if you do, don't say yes because it'll freak me out. But if you see Jesus in here right now, does anybody literally see him? If you do, like I said, just pretend like you don't because it'll freak me out. But if, if, if you do, like I don't see him physically here anywhere, but he's, he's real. 
And I'm to be strong in him and in the strength of his might. That's not something physical, is it? Already in this passage. I'm like, that's not a physical thing. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the... This is where it gets... The spiritual world gets weirdly personal. Schemes? I mean... I would love to be able to get my mustache so I could, you know. But, you know, the devil, he's got schemes. <laughs> I don't want to make it silly, though, because he really does have schemes. We were talking about this a little bit in our study of James, but here's the reality. Don't, don't miss what this is about, because a lot of times we go to this passage, like, be strong and, and the armor of God, and we think about this thing. But don't miss that little thing that there's a devil... And he's got schemes. I, I think one of the, I'll go on with this passage, but one of the most interesting things that I, I, I've learned is that, it, go back to uh, the transfiguration, and, and, and Peter's like, I mean, they're loving it, but then he makes this statement. Say, hey, we ought to you know, build some tabernacles. And, and Jesus says something to him. At, like at one point he's saying, Peter, what you just said, that's the rock of where I'm going to build my church. And like two sentences later, he's like, Peter, get behind me. What's he say? Satan. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus identified that thought that Peter had that he then vocalized. So there was a thought in his brain that he sent to his mouth and his tongue and his lungs. He said, hey, we should do this. Jesus heard that, and he identified the source. And it wasn't Peter. Peter was the conduit in that moment. I think from that, I think, can I step back from the, I think, I think that there can be thoughts planted, whispered in our ears, evil, destructive things, destroying things. We were talking about this just recently that Satan is called an accuser and you, you all experience, that. what's one of the reasons why we love one of those songs? Because, you know, Satan, he's not saying those things. He's saying, you don't deserve it. You're filth. Right? Where's that thought coming from? I, I tend to lean into my own brain. Well, my brain's pretty messed up, so I'm like, it probably just came from me. I'm pretty screwed up, so it's probably in there somewhere. But I can't deny that there's other things at play, and there's a devil, and he has schemes. And then Paul goes on to say, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Again, I'm not going to try to tell you what all these things are. I have no clue. But there are rulers. There are authorities. The next one, let's just say it out loud, cosmic powers. Over, ooh, and there's a thought we've talked about, over this present darkness. So that darkness that we're all born into, there's also cosmic powers that are over it against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I have no idea. But I know it's real. And I know Paul tells us you're going to have to fight it. So the moment you become a child of God, you are set at odds with spiritual forces at work in this world. That's what I hear here. 
The moment he saves you and you rejoice that he saved me, he's forgiven me of my sin, the moment that happens and you become light, you're now at odds with powers in this world that seek to destroy you. And Paul says, get ready, put on some armor. That does not sound like peace, right? Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Another passage in this one, I'm going to read through this one quickly. You were, this goes back to that same concept. You were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked. When you were in that state, notice Paul throws in some extra information here. You were not just darkness, but listen to this. And once you were following the course of this world, following the, the prince of the power of the air. That's weirdly personal for me. The spirit that is now at work. When you see, think about that sons of disobedience. We're born in darkness. I know I'm throwing a lot of ideas at you, but if you're born in darkness, another way of talking about that is being sons of disobedience. That's all of us. That's what he's saying. We were all that at one point before we were saved. I'm going to talk about that in just a second here. Before we became regenerated, became Christians, before that moment, we were in that. And what was working in us was not just us. According to this, that spirit, that prince of power is a spirit that is not working the sons of disobedience. So when you look out of the world, I don't think it's wrong for us to go, Satan is at work in this world. And it's seen in the behaviors of people who deny God's word and God's truth. And the only reason that you're not doing the very same thing is just simply the grace of God, right? Just his grace that has pulled you out of it because that same spirit that is working them that you go, ugh, that was the same spirit that was in you. You could be in the same spot if God had not rescued you. All of us, right, all lived in the passions of our flesh. There's a physical side to this as well carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So you see both things at play. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich, picture leprechaun pots of gold rich. (laughs) Except it's not pots of gold, it's mercy. But God being rich in mercy Because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So that, that, so so right is, darkness, now light. Dead, now alive. We stand in stark opposition to the world. And now because of this, there's a war going on with things that we can't even see. Which brings me to not peace number three. War within ourselves. I'm taking too long. I need to move faster. There are many ways to illustrate this. Let me give you a couple. One I've grown to love is Romans 7. This one I think I love. I love just reading this one because it doesn't need a lot of explanation because I think I read this and everybody goes, oh man, I know that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Now let me explain something here real quick, just very briefly. The moment... 
So, so I was at one time darkness. I was dead. Christ made me alive, but according to the richness of his mercy, he made me alive. So now I'm spiritually alive and I'm light. But I didn't. I, I look in the mirror and I, I'm like, I'm still in this stuff, right? Did this change? This this flesh change? And there, there's a bunch of wiring errors, I think, a lot of times up here in this thing, my meat computer, right, is wired terribly because I was in darkness and it was a lot of that thinking that was going on with this, this, the spirit of the power of the air that was at work in the sense of de- disobedience. My brain was developing and shaping and doing all kinds of things. And when I became saved, I'm stuck in that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, Paul says. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. It feels like that a lot of times, does it not? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You ever felt that one? I, I think, I think what Paul's talking about here is that there's this spiritual life in me that's me. I'm alive spiritually. And that spiritual part of me that's been made alive genuinely, completely, wholly wants to do what God has called me to do all the time. It's alive. But I'm stuck in this body of flesh, and there's this weird connection between the two that I don't think, I don't think you could like slice. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of people try to go, this is this and this is this. I, it's like entwined in me. And I think this is exactly what Paul's talking about. I think he says, the good I want to do, I don't because I, I want to do it. But I am not doing it because of this thing here, this flesh, this stupid flesh, stupid body, stupid brain. Now, if I do what I do not want, sounds like a Dr. Seuss at this point. Now, now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. We all experience that. I get up to preach. I want to do right and express you think that I'm free of this? Evil's right there, close at hand. I delight in the law of God and in my inner being. I think that's what he's talking about again. But I see in my members, the arms, right? My brain, my eyes, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Man, can't you just feel this? Listen to what he says next. Wretched man that I am. This stinks. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's delivering you, right? He's delivering you, and he will keep doing that. Let me go real quickly to Romans 8. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's talking about a spiritual reality before God's throne. There's no condemning of you because you've been made and declared righteous because of the blood of Christ. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is what that Ephesians 2 was talking about, being made alive. There's, there's other parts of this at play. But go down to Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. He says, for what God has done by the law, weakened by the, fle- weakened by the flesh, could not do. What God 
I'm sorry. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. There's a lot there. I'm not, I don't have time to explain it. If you want to ask questions, it would be a great ask the pastor's question for you. What does explain that one? Okay, we can do that. I don't want you to miss here where he goes with this, though. Because even though this law, there's a law of sin and death. And you know, the law of sin and death is that sin leads to death. And as much as you've been made alive spiritually, if you allow those members that this, right? I feel like I need to act like a puppet. Like, oh, you know, you know if I let these things here live out what they want to do, that sin leads to death. It leads to all kinds of death. I think back to Genesis, and dying you will die. You'll be dead, dead. I mean, this it leads to death, death of relationships, physical death, spiritual-minded death. Ultimately, it leads to spiritual death. <clears throat> and so Paul is laying out, there's a law at work here. Because of this thing that you've been made free, he says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. In other words, one of the ways that we operate now is that we go, okay, so I need to set my mind so this messed up brain, I need to, if it starts thinking this way, I got to go, no, 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 rein it in, think about the things of life. And it's, it's constantly wanting to go the other way, and I'm constantly trying to turn it back this way, and it's constantly wanting to go this way. And then I love this last one here. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... And I like the King James version of this better. If by the Spirit you mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so as a Christian, if you've been doing this Christian thing for a long time, there comes a point where you start to think about those, the thoughts and the, the temptations and all those things. You're like, I'm going to kill it. I hate it. Kill the body. Kill the flesh. Kill the flesh. I'm going to kill it. My flesh. I hate my flesh sometimes. Don't you? I hate it. Kill it. And that's what Paul says to do, mortify. This does not sound like peace. I guarantee that your flesh will not like, okay, go ahead, kill me. <laughs> I didn't want it that bad anyway. Your flesh is going to rear up like a rabid dog and fight you tooth and nail. And the more you try to do the right thing, the more your flesh is going to fight against you. And Paul says, kill it. Kill it. Deny it food. Deny everything it wants as much as you can. Don't let your flesh feed on what your flesh wants. Deny it. Take up your cross. Follow Christ. Okay. Do I need to split this up into two parts? Yeah. Well, gosh, I got my sermon ready for next week. All right, so we'll do that. We'll do that. Let's talk about it. So what I got through the not piece... Next week we'll talk about we'll get we'll get Andrew and Jeff to argue again. Um, we'll talk about we'll talk about the peace next week. Okay, maybe we'll have them duke it out up here. We'll have them like the we'll talk about because there is ways that Christ brings peace. But since I'm stopping here in the middle, I have a I have to give a different application. Let's say this. Let me encourage you with this thought that if you feel like your whole life is a fight to do the right, you're not alone. 
Nobody in this room, if you're sitting here in this room and going like, I find it easy. I just love doing the right thing all the time. It's so easy. I don't buy it. You're in a flesh body, and there are aspects of it that, that want to tear you. you know, I think that as we grow in Christ, sometimes there's those big ones that we've killed that deed, and it's, it, it's like a weak little earthworm that's trying to get you, you know, and it's kind of not, not relevant. But, but there's, there's other things. You start to find other things at work, pride, arrogance, self-pity, self-reliance. And you go, man, I thought I knocked all the big ones down. Then you start to realize these are the bigger ones. These are the Arnold Schwarzeneggers of the flesh, right? And they are not going to give up control easily. So if you go through this week and you feel like that, have at it. It's a battle. And it's not just you and your flesh because there's other things at play too. But you have, by the power of Christ, and I didn't get a chance to get to this, the same spirit that rose Jesus up from the grave is now at work in you. That's the power you have access to. Your flesh will not say, I'm going to try to do this, but, you know, you're really powerful. I probably can't stop you. No, your flesh is going to be like, you got nothing. You got nothing. And you're going to go, I got the strength of Jesus. Like, your flesh is going to go, that's nothing. I'll give you this last thought. I have found one of, the most, like, one of the most helpful things that happened in my brain was when I realized that in the face of strong temptation, I, when I realized that even in the, the strongest of the temptations, the spirit was present, but the spirit wasn't going, come on, Matt. You know what the spirit was doing? The spirit was like right here going, you don't have to listen to him. You can right now do the right thing. That's bogus strength. What Christ has brought in you is way more powerful. And when I started learning that, I was like, oh, so I don't... Sometimes it feels like you have to. You're, you're snowballs rolling down the hill, and I can't... But the Spirit, I guarantee the Spirit will do that. I go... <clears throat> like a still, small voice in your ear. Do what's right. You know what it is. You can do it. Yeah, I've empowered you. That's not the problem. You don't need some new strength. You have that already. It just doesn't feel like it because you're stuck in this flesh. So it didn't feel like it, but it's there. Do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word helping us understand the battles that we will face in this life. I pray that you'd help us to take on that armor. Lord, help us to dig into what those things mean and understand it and grow in it. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would guide us in those things. And Lord, help us to get to that point in our lives where we are dependent on you for that ongoing battle that we're going to have to have until the day we die. Help us to never give up. Help us to make it to the end. I pray this down in Christ's name.